2: Good evening, everybody. Ron Geyer, back with End Time Insights. Thank you very much. We are always excited to do that. We're talking about the book of Revelation. We've gone through the seven churches, chapters 2 and 3. Now we're in chapter 4. And I always call chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the rapture of the church. And I've been taking a week or two. I'm going to take this week also. I just want to give you some reasons why people don't think that the rapture of the church is imminent. Uh, They're confused in their thinking. They think it's not as close as I think it is. And I'm going to give you scriptures and reasons. I gave you some last week to show you why I think it's right around the corner. And it's so important. You've got to understand this. But I want to focus today on, well, let me quickly review. Why do Christians think that the rapture is near? We talked about it. There's deception, wholesale deception, Jesus said one of the signs right before his uh, coming back would be that many would be deceived. Well, obviously that's it. Lawlessness is another reason why we think that the uh, rapture of the church is imminent. The world has been steeped in lawlessness for centuries, but only recently has America fallen into lawlessness that's been taking place. Pretty much since the Obama administration declared war on authority, and we've seen it now under the Biden administration, Trump, President Trump tried to bring back a level of law and order. And now that's been done away with the police now are the targets of the socialist left. They are trying to remove respect for authority in every aspect of our lives. Another witness that we are near the rapture, it would be the regional and ethnic conflicts that Jesus talked about. We see them over there in the in the Middle East, in the land where the Muslims are just doing their thing, and there's crisis there every other day. You've got the explosion of tribulation. That's another sign. 100,000 Christians lost their lives last year for Christ. we just seen it in Afghanistan. I got a email from somebody the other day that the underground church at Kabul is no more. They have been persecuted. They have been martyred for their faith. And the underground church in Kabul is a thing of the past. Just amazing, amazing. And then, of course, Israel, the rebirth of the nation Israel, May 14th, 1948. So I was telling you about that, and I want to close that topic, why I think the rapture of the church is imminent, with 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 1 through 5. You've heard me preach on them before, but it's so important that we get this out there. Uh, before I get into that, I want to mention that uh, there are preachers out there that do not think the rapture of the church is imminent, and the reason they give is because they tell you that the church must witness to every nation, every person, every tribe, and every tongue before the rapture of the church right can happen. Then they tell you that that's not the case. They say, well, no, we've only witnessed uh, less than 50% of the nations in the world. Or, I've heard the number the 20%. I believe the number is like 22 or 23%. And uh, still, the reasoning behind them thinking is false. They make a mistake. They don't understand what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible talks about the fact that, that the gospel needs to be preached in every nation before the church can be raptured. Well, that's not what Jesus said. When Jesus gave them the great Commission, He said, go preach the gospel to every tongue, every tribe, every nation, and then the end will come. He didn't say the rapture will come. He said the end will come. But even further than that, you've got to understand that what makes us think that the church is the only entity that's called by God, anointed by God, summoned by God to preach the gospel. That's ridiculous. That's false. It's not true. So the church has an obligation to basically preach the gospel to everybody. That's what that scripture means. Preach the gospel to everybody. Go to Timbuktu, go to New Delhi, go to Bangladesh, go to Moscow, go to Texas, go wherever, you go to California, bless God. But you've got to go ahead and understand the spirit behind what Jesus is saying is preach the gospel everybody, everywhere, all the time. And yet, There are other entities that God calls to preach the gospel beside the church. People think, well, once the church is taken out of the earth, nobody's going to preach the gospel. That's false. Jesus anoints the 144,000 Jews. They are charged with what? Preaching the gospel. Jesus also has the two witnesses in Israel to preach the gospel. As if that's not enough, Jesus in Revelation, uh, I think it's chapter 14, verses 6 and 7 Jesus has an angel to preach the everlasting gospel right before he comes again. So don't think that preaching the gospel is the sole charge of the church. That is false. God has Jews, he's got two witnesses, and he's got angels that are going to preach the gospel before the end comes. That's exactly what that scripture means. God's got it covered. Don't put the burden on the church because you falsely put the church into a sense of security that we're not leaving here yet. We are leaving here yet. We are leaving here imminent. I expect to be taken before I finish this show. That gives me 19 minutes to get this in. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay, let me talk to you about the 18 characteristics of end-time mankind that Paul describes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is very important. Last week, I gave you the first one. It talks about Uh, Perilous times, men shall be lovers of themselves. It's called the I am generation. I talked to you about that. We are self absorbed, self focused. Man or mankind no longer will live by the moral standard that it once lived by. The word for lovers of their own selves, it means to kiss themselves. The Greek is called philauto, phil meaning love, autos meaning self. It's the only time that the Bible uses that word, it's a self love. It means to fall in love with yourselves, and we see it all the time. It's so obvious. Barclay, old-time commentator, good guy, wrote it like this. So instead of looking out to God, man looks into himself. He involves himself in vain speculations and thinks himself wise. All the time, he plays the fool. Why? He is the fool because he has made his ideas, his opinions, his vain speculations the standard and the law of his own personal life instead of the will of God. The sinner's folly consisted in making man the master of things. He found his standards in his own opinions and not in the laws of God. He lives in a self-centered universe rather than a God-centered universe. That's Barclay. And once again, that is one of the signs of the end times, which ministers to the church that the rapture of the church is imminent. Okay. Also, man would be covetous. He'd be lovers of money, but not for accumulating wealth, but he's covetous of the money in the sense that the pleasures that it buys him, the things that it affords him to make his life comfortable. And in the church, we don't want to come against the comfort of man. We want to make sure they're comfortable, uh, secret friendly. What do you want in a church service? No, you ask God what he demands in a church service. Satan, covetousness. Satan coveted the worship of God alone. And we're copying that in a sense. Also, we are self-loving. We are comfortable. We decide what we want to hear in the gospel. Who was it? Spurgeon. I heard it. I think a friend posted it today. What was it? It was, you don't preach the sheep, the goats. What is it? Oh yeah. You feed the sheep and you don't entertain the goats. We've got it backwards a little bit. We're not feeding the sheep and we are entertaining the goats. So men would be lovers of their own selves. They would be covetous. They would be boasters. And we've seen this. So in love with themselves that all they can do is talk about themselves. It's me. It's mine. They exaggerate or magnify the truth about themselves. They lie. A floating moral etiquette. Situational ethics. If it gets me what I want, then it's okay for me to do it or to say it. Just like in church, the worship, I'm shocked. I'm reading some of these songs that we sing about. I am a friend of God. I am who he says I am. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I mean, you know, to fear. We sing about ourselves. No, 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 no. You worship the Lord God and him alone. I am the Lord God. I will have no other gods before me. When you go to church, you sing about God. You don't sing about the church. You don't sing about yourselves. But we don't see these things. Satan is so subtle, and we've let them come and take us one small notch down at a time. And at no point have we risen up and we've said no. People are wondering, well, when is this mass garbage going to stop? It's going to stop when we stop them. But it's not going to stop on their own. There's no passive action that the church is going to do that's going to cause this stuff to stop. We must be aggressive. The righteous, we take the kingdom by force. We've got to go ahead. Passivity in the kingdom of God, it's never neutrality. It's surrender. We have to quit surrendering our freedoms, our Bible truths from the pulpit to the world. Isaiah 13 and 14, For thou, Lucifer, you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Man has taken that tact. We see it in our doctrines all the time, the latest one being that God's not sovereign on the earth. Man is... And no matter how good his reasons may be for making the case that God can't do anything without man's questioning or praying to him or confessing to him, that's what they say, God can't do anything until man asks him to. It's the spirit of Satan. It's the spirit of the devil. He's all come directly from Satan. Covetousness comes from Satan. Boasting comes from Satan. Pride, above all, we want to be manifested over everyone else. Arrogance. You talk to people, they won't listen to you. They're full of pride. You cannot speak to those in authority because you're not on staff. You can't speak to those teachers out there. They don't hold each other accountable to one another. We've got to get rid of this arrogance, this pride. It's a a snotty, snobbish demeanor. It's a haughty spirit. We've got to combat that. Luke 151, he has done mighty deeds, God, with his powerful arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. This isn't mental ascension to the thoughts of godlessness. This is matters of the heart. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews. That God, the Word of God is live, powerful, sharp with any two-edged sword, piercing asunder under the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. The Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Your heart does most of your thinking, whether you know it or not. It's not your mind. Your mind is carnal. Your heart is spiritual. You need to let your heart give itself over to the authority of the Word and let your heart speak what God speaks. So these are four aspects of anti-mankind behavior that are evident today, which bear witness to the fact that the rapture of the church is imminent. Blasphemers, people blaspheming God, it's not what you think it is. It's a loose mouth. It means anything goes in their speech. It's derogatory speech. It's rude or crude language. There's no sense of order, godly order or decorum in what we're saying. And of course, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto those that hear it. And verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you and any hatred. These are evidences that the church is about to be removed from this earth, this fallen earth where mankind end-time behavior is an abomination. Luke 6.45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For, one of my favorite scriptures, of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You just listen to somebody talk for five minutes. I can tell you exactly where they are. I can tell you what spirit they are. I can tell you what spirits are controlling them in their speech. That gives it away. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth reveals your heart. These next eight items are going to talk about uh, regarding uh, 2 Timothy 3, end time, mankind's behavior. These next eight items, with one exception, these were things that once were but are no longer. Things canceled or lost, that's what they are. Every one of these Greek words, uh, with one exception, starts with an A, which means not, or it means it's been canceled. You know, I read this the other day. A friend sent my, who is it, Cameron. Cameron sent me something, a video about persecution in the end times. And he made a great statement at the opening of that video. It talks about the fact that in the last days, the persecution of the church, we're not going to be persecuted for the things that we do or for the things that we say. The church last day's persecution is going to be for things that we refuse to do. We refuse to take the vaccine. We refuse to wear a mask. We refuse to be silent. We refuse to close our churches. We refuse to favor the homosexual community. I mean, we refuse to acknowledge that gay marriage is a good thing. We refuse to bake a cake for the homosexual couple for their wedding. We get persecuted not for what we do, but what we refuse to do. And we're seeing that. It's so evident. Okay. One of the end time uh, giveaways that we were in the last days, disobedient to parents. Children who were once pliable, you could mold them, right? But not not anymore. They're suing their parents. Uh, They're being trained in school just for that purpose. Parents no longer have control over their children. They have lost the moral authority or influence over them. Children are now making their own rules by which to live. You know, our our government gets some credit in this here. I remember uh, the quote we taught the God and government class, the American Patriot series in our church. And uh, Benjamin Rush, one of the great, great early founding fathers of our nation, he quoted this and he said, he said, if we ever lose control of our government, our government will become the greatest enemy of the American family. And he had it so right. I mean, they are destroying the fabric of the American family, our government passing laws that say men and women can get married to men, can get married to men, women can get married to women. They are, they've got like six, eight, 20, 50 different sexual orientations by which you can define yourself by. It's just the government passing laws, anti-God laws, destroying the fabric of the American family, abortion, making the murder of your children legal. That is sick. So they'll be disobedient to parents. They'll be unthankful. Once again, this is another sign that the rapture of the church is near because in 2 Timothy 3, it talks about Paul warning Timothy right before the Lord comes. There will be evidences in the culture, in the behavior of man, and he gives a list of 18 items. Another one of them is being unthankful. It means lost. We've lost being grateful. We're no longer grateful. We're no longer thankful for the things that God's placed in our lives. Our attitude is one of, you know this word, entitlement. We've got whole cultures, whole sections of the American populace thinking that they're entitled to him, that they're owed something. Romans 121 talks about that. When they knew God, when mankind knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful for. And their thinking and their praise and their foolish hearts became... Darkened. We're walking around with a culture that is darkened, that doesn't acknowledge God. Actually, I take that back. They do acknowledge God, but it's the God they've created. They acknowledge themselves as God. They are rulers of their own life. You understand? If I don't allow God to um, lead me and guide me in the way that I should go, if I don't let His Word be my final authority in all doctrine, if I don't pray and ask for the direction of the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me in the way that I should go, I have knocked God off the throne of my life. I have taken control of my life again. I have made myself an idol in the sight of God. That's what he's talking about here. Not only is mankind unthankful, but he's also unholy. We are irrelevant. No, we are irreverent. We've lost something being considered sacred and making it ordinary. There were more things that were holy, just like the the communion service that we take we've made that about ourselves now prayer is supposed to be a holy time but we've made that about acquisition our faith is a holy gift from god and yet we're using that I call it the gospel of acquisition what can i get from my faith ideally if uh, you know it's a gospel about others it's not a gospel about me and if i'm using my faith properly i am interceding for your best. I am interceding for your healing. I am interceding for understanding for God that I can serve you better. These are holy things. Second Timothy 3:3. Without natural affection, these people are truce breakers. They are false accusers. They are incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Basically, without natural affection, you can look at that two ways. That means the loss of the love of the family. There's no Greek for the word natural, okay? My wife's opinion is it's the loss of the God-given composition of the family unit, which is one mom, one dad, brothers, and sisters. It's talking about the replacement of that with the new normal family unit. I saw a uh, Facebook post somebody put out there, the ex-presidential candidate, uh, Peter Buttigieg, Buttigieg. I don't know if I said that right. Anyway, there was a picture of him and his boyfriend, and they each had a baby in their hand. And people are congratulating them, they are a married couple, and they are congratulating them on the, well obviously it's not the birth of their children, but I guess they each adopted somebody. Father God, right now, I pray that you have mercy on those children in the name of Jesus, that you would keep them from the deception. Satan, go far from their borders. I mark them for Christ. I apply the blood of Jesus over them. Hallelujah, Father God. No weapon that is formed against them shall prosper in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, I mark those children for God. Hallelujah. Without natural affection. I mean, men and women going after one another in lust. Romans 1 talks about that. There are truce breakers. They break treaties. Basically, it's talking about divorce, a broken covenant, differences that could no longer be worked out. What is that? No fault divorce, right? One of the worst things that happened to the marriage in the name of the Lord in, in, in since the inception of marriage. You can't be blamed. You, you hey, irreconcilable differences. There it is. We're not going to call it anything other than the fact we don't get along. That's what it is. We want divorce because we don't like each other anymore. A sign of end time mankind behavior in his fallen state. That will lead us right in to the removal of the church from the earth. False accusers, the word there is diablos, devils, devils, devils. That's exactly how Paul writes it in the Bible. The one exception to the other eight words is previously noted. There's no cancellation of anything good here. Without natural affection, canceled out natural affection, right? Unthankful, canceled out thankfulness disobedient to parents, canceled out, children obeying mom and dad. Here we are, false accusers. In the Bible, Paul just writes it down. Devils, devils, devils. The devil is false. If it's global, it's God. If it's false, it's the devil. Incontinent, lost the ability to exercise self-control over anything and everything. They are fierce. That means there's a widespread problem that we have, a cruel and barbaric and uncivilized generation. You know, in Roman days you would have to go to the Colosseum to see barbaric behavior. All you got to do is turn on your TV now. Watch any political rally. Watch the way they treat the police, watch the way they treat one another. Black lives matters. I mean, they wear masks, they hide themselves and they go ahead and they commit these intolerable acts that violate the law and they walk away like nothing happened. I heard that uh you can walk into a grocery store in California now, steal what you want and they just let you take it. Amazing. Amazing. Despisers of those that are good. The loss of the love for good things. Americans has lost the love for what is good. A strange reversal of how things once were. No laws to protect the good people, but now laws are written to protect the bad people. Second Timothy 3, 4. Traitors, heady, high-minded. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of themselves. I mean, you know what a traitor is. They betray their oaths. They betray their covenants. Heady. It means people are reckless on every level, obviously. Road rage. One who falls before or ahead of another, hasty. They jump first into actions without looking. They're high-minded. That means they're doubly proud. They're conceited. They're puffed up. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And here's the danger. Who loves God? Do the heathen love God? No. Who loves God? The church loves God. Well, and this is a reference to church people. They are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They love God, but they would rather love, have their pleasures first. They love heathen things more than godly things. It does not say that they do not love God. It says they just love the pleasures more than they love God. They accent carnal gratification more than spiritual gratification. They care more about their carnal self than their spiritual self. And of course, the last one, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of God from such turn away and. Here we see it. It's religion, having their own form of religion or piety or spirituality. It's the rise of a new form of paganism in society where we're not worshiping God. We are worshiping God or goddesses, but we are not worshiping the God. We think we have the correct form of religion. We look and we sound good, and we even seem to make sense. We reason out our own goodness rather than letting the law of God define what that goodness looks like. But compared to what the Word of God says, you will see the fallacy in what they do. And of course, denying the power thereof, deliberately denying the word there is dunamis. It's the Greek. It's the word for power, the power of the Holy Spirit. When you see the word dunamis, it's always associated with the Holy Spirit of God. It is the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God living inside man. That's why I think the rapture is imminent. You look around, this is not a one or two of these things, and you would say, yeah, I guess I could see that occasionally in mankind's behavior. This is prevalent. This is the dominant type of behavior in our culture today. Every single one of them. I challenge you. 2 Timothy 3, go back and read the first five verses. You'll see what I'm talking about. Continue to pray for our nation. Continue to pray for the church. When I come back next week, I'm going to finish up Chapter 4, where it talks about the throne of God and the four creatures before the throne of God. We love you. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.
1: Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.